1: Hello, hello, all of my beautiful freaking people. Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. Today, Shanae Grimes from 90210 and a zillion other things is coming on to chat with us, and it is such a fun episode. I can't wait for you to meet her. So sit back, have a drink, and welcome to FML Talk. Oh,
2: my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19, can you believe us? Hey,
1: hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book.
2: Chapter of- <gasps> he did what? 48 hours? What
1: a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on her Instagram? And
0: this is FML Talk. Oh, no, she didn't.
1: Okay. So before we jump into this super fucking fun interview with Shanae, I want to touch on something that we talk about in our interview. She opens up about how her relationship with her father growing up and some specific things that happened in that dynamic really shaped her in certain ways. and really put obstacles in her way that she had to then overcome specifically with men. And I so identify and resonate with this because as you've read in Eat Pray FML and you will read about in The Ridiculous Misadventures, I have a lot of, let me rephrase that, I had a lot of things in my life that were blocking me, standing in my way, consciously, subconsciously, that all led back to the experience that I had losing my dad and my high school sweetheart and just the men in general in my life. And it's so important to when you see patterns happening in your life to really take a step back and get some perspective and look at them so that you're able to identify where they're coming from. So many times I get DMs of like, why am I attracting the same men? Why do I keep having such shit luck? And if things are happening to you more than once or twice, it's a pattern. And if there are patterns, there's a root to that. And there's something that's causing that. And more often than not, there's something within you that you need to heal in order to attract something different in the future. And this whole interview, when she talks about her dad and how that led to her putting certain walls up and you know hardening herself um, in a way is is one of those examples. So if you can take a step back and look at what you went through as a child, because so many times these uh, long stemming beliefs begin when we're children. And say what happened to me when I was younger that began to dictate the way that I do things or the way that I think about things or the way that I interact with people or how my relationships are. And it doesn't have to be some giant tragedy like I experienced. It can be something small and trivial. It can be something that your parents said to you when you were younger that really stuck with you. But if you can trace it back to figure out when you started behaving in certain ways and doing things in certain ways. You can really start to open up a whole new way of healing yourself and it's really fucking powerful. So I urge you after this episode to sit down and do a little bit of work on yourself because it uh it's life changing when we can get to those inner layers of those thought onions. All right. Without further ado, let's, uh, let's party. Here's Shanae Grimes. Shanae Grimes, welcome to FML Talk, girl. Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
3: This is my first time doing a podcast that isn't mine. <laughs> Wait, shut up! Really? Uh, yeah, I'd never, I'd never done anything in the podcast space, and then we decided to start our own. So, yeah.
1: wow, way to dive in head first without like any, you know, experience <laughs> in it. Um, it's a wild world. Well, I'm honored that this is the first one that you've uh, graced with your presence. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. Okay, so. Let's start back at the beginning because when I came on your show, we talked a little bit about trauma and where that you know stems from and how we often experience it when we're young and how that manifests when we're older. So take me back to what you think was some of the defining moments that kind of shaped how you became as an adult.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, it goes back to my parents' divorce. They they started splitting up when I was about seven. That's when I at least became aware of it. Um, It was a very on and off experience. You know, he was out of the house, then he was back in the house. And it took my mom a few years to finally just call it quits and say enough was enough. Um, She wanted to keep the family together and wanted to believe that, you know, things could change and they didn't. Um, And I think, you know, I was the oldest of my three, the three of us. I have two younger brothers and I was the one who was very aware. I think my younger brother, the middle one may have also been aware, but he was very quiet. So he internalized everything. If he did Mm -hmm. catch on to what was going on, I was not, I was very vocal. So I have always been like that. And I definitely made it known that I knew what was going on. Um, And it broke my heart because My dad was, I was such a daddy's girl. He was my whole world. And I knew that he did bad things. I was very aware of that, but he was still my dad. So I was still mad at my mom for kicking him out. And he used to have to come to the house. I remember being like seven, I couldn't go to sleep without my dad tucking me in at night. So he would just drive like late at night and come just to tuck me in. And then he would leave again. And (laughs) that just speaks volumes about the kind of relationship that I had with him and how much I had him on this pedestal, for sure, despite everything. And then, again, as I started to get a little bit older, I started being very aware of the grief that my mom was going through. I remember, you know, finding her in the bathroom in tears and seeing your mom who's... My mom is so strong, and she's just... She's the mom that, like... Would, she was always working, but she would still find the way to like stay on top of everything for all three of us. She would put the little Ziploc baggie with the note with the oh, no. field trip money in our shoe before school. You know, she was just she had everything together. So to see my mom unraveling was very jarring because yeah. she had been my rock. And then when I was about... 10 or 11, my dad um, got in a relationship with a young woman. She was in her 20s, and she was, you know, a party animal. She was a bit wild, Um, and I gathered that much at that age, for sure. I didn't know the extent of it or, or what kind of dynamic they had behind the scenes until I was older, but it was definitely under the influence of substances and all the rest of it um, that can definitely, you know, lead people to make poor decisions along the way. And she had a real jealousy complex with me because I was my dad's princess. That's what he's called me my entire life. Like, that's my nickname from him. And he's the only person who calls me that. But um, I was you know very much like the star woman in his life, or girl well, as female, you should whatever, be as as, his as you should be, yeah, um, and she took major issue with that. she did not, and I was rebelling, you know, like my dad was my dad, I was never that bothered when my mom started dating again, but when my dad started dating. I felt threatened, obviously. interesting, yeah. And it, it, I always had an issue with it. So I was, you know, not the most pleasant child, child, emphasis on child. Right, right, To be around. Um, And at about 10, 11, something like that, I guess she had made the call that she did not want to be around me anymore. And... uh, she must have given my dad some kind of ultimatum because all I was aware of was that my dad had us every other weekend and every single Wednesday, we would go and stay at his house or whatever. And he made the decision at that point to no longer pick me up when he would come and collect my brothers for his time with us. So oh, wow. I stayed at home and it makes me like emotional just to think about this because now bet. I have kids, and like i like there yeah. isn't anybody on the face of the fucking earth that would keep me away from your kids <laughs> Never yeah. persuade me to but you know whatever again i I chalk that up to just you know being raveled uh caught up in in other personal things that were making him you know a little bit cloudy when it comes to judgment. But, um, yeah, so he would come, and he would pick up my brothers every Wednesday and every other weekend, and I would stay at home with my mom.
1: Um, And at that point, like, that was the big trigger for me. There was no explanation, no, like, this is why you're not seeing your dad anymore? It was just that I was too difficult and uh, you know
3: she had an issue I wasn't being nice to her and that was what it was so it was very plain sight it wasn't you know me interpreting anything it was right. very it was made clear he was picking her over me that was yeah. you know that's the bottom line and uh, that was the trigger for a lot of things that have kind of shaped me into the person that I am today. Um, you know, that idea of not being good enough or being too challenging to love unconditionally. Yeah. Um, that, that definitely has stayed with me forever. And, and like I said to you on Unzipped, you know, that's where my walls shot up all of a sudden. It was like, okay, again, you talk about sense of abandonment because of the loss you experienced at such a young age with the male figure in your life yeah. you know this was same same issue different different
1: circumstances sure and it's almost <laughs> i mean you know not to compare because there's no comparison but there's almost a sense that it's like my dad you know died he he didn't choose to leave like he didn't yes. choose to die um but to be so close with with your father and have this <laughs> bond and then see him blatantly choose this other person over you, That's that creates some subconscious shit, man. Oh
3: yeah, big sure. time, big time. And it just led me through life you know, again, it made me angry as hell. Like yeah. I was I was so angry. I was so mean. I was just mean to my brothers. I was mean, you know, resenting them, I'm sure, for, you know, being the ones who, who were okay. Like they, yeah. they made the cut. And mean to my stepdad, because I did not trust an older man in my life anymore. And right. I, so I really isolated myself from everybody, except for my mom. My mom was the one person who I trusted. She was the one person that made me feel safe and like showed me that love, you know, the meaning of unconditional love truly meant like there are no conditions. In the same breath, I was made to feel throughout the rest of my life because of my behavior that I was very difficult to love. So Mm -hmm. even though my mom loved me unconditionally, it was like, I love you unconditionally. Despite the fact that you are like this, despite the fact that, you know, so again, it just kind of kept that. Record playing in my head of you know I'm I'm not good enough and I am so hard I'm so difficult and all of this kind of stuff so it, and it's just a vicious cycle because yeah. it, it fuels that behavior that that is difficult to deal yeah. with a hundred
1: percent and then, you, <laughs> and, then you, and then you start believing it and you're like well shit I am difficult and now I just have to exist in this life hoping that someone loves me even though I'm difficult totally and and I've gotten to a place
3: you know for years where I I just Kept myself to myself. I didn't let anybody in, and and the way that I did that was by being hard and callous and all of that kind of stuff. You know, I had a high school boyfriend, and and that was pretty much it. Like I wouldn't like ever engage in a relationship with a a man where I would even allow him to call me his girlfriend. I was like, no, 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 that's like too close, too close to home. Like no, you know, like we can we'll see each other and whatever, but like I don't do commitment because I don't trust you to do commitment. I don't trust you to not abandon me. So I'm not even going to step myself up for that. And it really wasn't until I met my husband and for whatever reason, I can't explain it in like the reality of things. So I have to believe that the universe was at play. Something about that human just let me know it was okay now i could let the walls come down i could sleep i hadn't slept since i was 10 years old i was such an insomniac i ended up wow. self-medicating to just make it through the night and then catch some z's like i i could not sleep and i remember the first night he slept in my bed i was like i don't do this i don't feel comfortable you know like uh i don't know how my and i'm panicking on the inside i laid my head on that shoulder and it was like boom out the lights oh, were out i love that i slept through the night and it was like whoa like that's crazy and and it's just been that way ever since and and from that you know i've started to do a lot of of healing and i'm still on that journey i'm i my defense mechanism is still you know okay i have to be fine on my own because nobody right. else is going to stick around forever so i just need to make sure that i'm i'm good on my own you know totally
1: summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon one of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals no prep no mess no cleanup meals Oh, my God. I, I so much of that resonates with me. And you said when we did your episode of Unzipped, um which I want everybody to go check out because I've listened to a few episodes, um, and it's just you guys are great.. Thank um, you. But you said that when you met your husband, at first you were a little bit of what you said, a bitch. <laughs> yes, and so, I don't use how that did word. That go like I never use that word. I
3: just yeah, I've been called that word forever, and I I love my husband. My husband doesn't use that word. He thinks it's like the most degrading word ever to like throw at a woman and, yeah. and whatever what have you. But but I was <laughs> if there was ever a time to use it, it was the night I met my husband. Just because when I opened the door to him, you know, I don't know if you've seen a picture of my husband. He's like.
1: Six foot two, beautiful, covered in tattoos.
3: Like, bone yeah, structure
1: like a great he, god. Like If you were ever going to be like, that's a guy that's probably going to break my heart, that's a fuckboy category. Uh, he Aesthetically, it's
3: that, that yeah, 100%, vibe. 100%. 100%. You know, so I, he opened the door and I was like, this guy, you know, like, <laughs> okay, cool. This guy definitely gets his ass kissed all day long. He's cool, so I'm sure dudes love him. Right. He's like so hot. I'm sure he's got every girl, you know, just swooning after him and whatever. I was like, this guy's ego is going to be so huge. Like we've all met douchebags like that. I was like, yeah, I'm not even trying to like entertain this situation right now. I'm just going to breeze on past. And, And he's so cheeky. His personality, like he is just like a natural comedian. He's so funny. He's magnetic and he makes everybody feel like they're the only person in the room like that's his that he charisma is like oozing out of his pores
1: that's how my boyfriend is too
3: (laughs) and it was just like oh my god you're so like this is so annoying like I can't take my eyes off of you and now like you make me want to laugh and you're making me (laughs) you know what I mean I'm like I'm falling into this trap like no no and so I was just so (laughs) mean I was like rolling my eyes and like being such a dick and I was like I don't want to be here. Like, let's get out of here. You know, I was oh really just being so rude. Wait, and were you guys on a date? Like, did someone say no, you what? What no, vibe I have the situation. So context, my friend in New York, I was living in New York at the time, my girlfriend brought me to her best friend's house, because her old friend was in town. He used to live in New York. That was Josh, my husband. And He had used to live with this guy who was still her best friend. So whatever, like a mutual situation. There was probably like maybe six to 10 people there. It was like just a little like late night New York gathering or whatever. And I was already going to another bar to like, we had plans to go to another bar, me and my girlfriend. Uh And so I was being an asshole to him, but also like secretly like. Obviously, crushing really hard. Right, and, right. <laughs> and then when we were leaving, he was like, Okay, cool. We'll come with you. Like him and his friend. And I was like, Who said you were invited? Like, you oh know, my like God, just can't. <laughs> so rude. I was like, No, like, no. And he came and we were like, you know, just banter. And he could give it as, as much as I was giving it, he could give it right back, which was like all the more exciting. I was like, holy shit, this guy is not intimidated by me at all. I love it. And when we were in the cab going to the bar, we were just being assholes to each other and, and poking fun. And, and my girlfriend was like, okay, now it's getting uncomfortable guys. Like if you don't want (laughs) to hang out, then let's just not like, is the whole night going to be like this? Like it's, uh, it's weird. And we both, just like broke into giggles and we're like but it's really fun and like that was like okay like clear that you know what was happening was actually flirting
1: (laughs) yeah a weird sick and twisted I love that oh my god so he's the first person that really was able to kind of like break start to break that wall down for you oh big time and it happened overnight I mean we
3: we had one crazy, that crazy night that we met, he left town the next day. I we didn't exchange phone numbers or anything i chalked it up to like wow that was just a great story to tell my kids one day you know right. like when you're when your mom was young and cool in new <laughs> york city you know and and then our friend tagged us in a photo on twitter this was like pre instagram right oh my god <laughs> <laughs> and and then we started messaging which turned into texting which turned into like hour and a half long phone calls which turned into him coming back into town like 3 to 4 weeks later to ultimately come and see me and within two days we had like drunkenly joked about like if we went and eloped and got married in Vegas oh my God. and then the next morning we woke up sober and we're like hey wasn't that so weird when we were talking about getting married like it was like so awkward and we were like yeah yeah but do you think
1: maybe we should? Oh and like Oh
3: my god. We were engaged within like a week and that was it. Like it was just like the craziest Stop. craziest whirlwind. Did yeah. you guys actually go in a lope? We didn't because I was like, you know what? My grandmother, like my Italian Catholic yeah. grandmother, would roll like just die, like drop dead and die if I went and got married without her there to, you yeah. know, see it. So we actually had a, a real wedding um
1: with family and everything like that a little while oh, ago. I so love that. Um and now it is a story that you can tell your actual kids. That we share <laughs> together. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's amazing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um okay, so let's take take me back <laughs> to when because you started working in the industry really. Early at an earlier yeah. age, right? Well, how yeah. old were you? I
3: was um thirteen. I was okay. thirteen. It was the summer the summer before I started high school that I started auditioning and I booked my first commercial. So that
1: was like when it so all So that like up. constitutes you as like a child star, you know, like you, 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 so. you started working really young.
3: Yeah, I think so. I, I got a part on Degrassi, which was like my first TV series mm-hmm. um, that I was on regularly when I was about thirteen, maybe fourteen. So, I yeah. think that's still like qualifies. totally yeah. size <laughs> um, child actor.
1: And wh- how old were you when you booked nine hundred two one zero?
3: I would have been eighteen. Okay. I was eighteen. Yeah. It was in my like leap year. I I had to take a couple extra credits to graduate. So I went from Degrassi
1: straight on to nine oh two one oh. Nice. Um yeah. you know I auditioned for that show to play silver. <laughs> really? So yeah. did I. I auditioned oh my god, to play really? Silver. Yes.
3: Oh, I love. Oh, I because we're you- way we're way more Silvers than we are <laughs> Annie's. I
1: like for sure. I was so bummed when I found out I did not get that part, oh and then thankfully god, there was another it. part available. But yeah. Oh my god, that's too funny. Um. So how do you think? You know, starting in the industry that young, how did that impact your you know kind of self worth and how you? grew up in the industry?
3: I think, you know, I, and I'm, again, I, I, I'm such a geek when it comes to like horoscopes and stuff like that, but just because I feel like, I don't know, like I identify so hardcore with like every Scorpio attribute under the sun, you know, every time I read a horoscope, I'm like, Oh my God, they're in my brain. Um, (laughs) and I think that by nature, you know, Scorpios, there's something special about us. There is, there really is. And I think true. anyone who knows a Scorpio knows that to be
1: true. You know, there's something about us that's different, like it or hate it. I was going to say they either <laughs> love it and they're like, this is my favorite person. They're so badass. Or they're like, oh my God, I wouldn't touch them with a 10 foot pole. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <like> no,
3: <laughs> no, exactly. But it's, it's definitely like we make an impression, you know, and. I think from a young age, I just always wanted to be the one that, that excelled. Like I, you know, I wanted my grades to be better than everybody else's and it came naturally to me. Like so many things come naturally to us, right? So, so you do have that, whatever that it thing, that it factor that people talk about, I think it's like an inherent Scorpio trait. That you have it in some capacity in, you know, however that manifests in your life. And, when it came to the acting thing, it wasn't like, oh, I always wanted to be an actor. I d- watched movies. I just wanted to be famous. I was like, motherfucker. Like I oh was I literally just want to be famous. I don't care. I you don't even have it. to pay me. I just want to be famous. <laughs> um and then it it started to, you know, happen a de like not fame in the same way, because toronto is like a very small town and, you know, or small city or whatever. But um but it was my first taste of like it something made me special something right. made me stand out from everybody at school you know it was like i was different and people knew about it people talked about it and i liked it yeah. <laughs> and and i think it just gave me that unique edge that i craved so much i never wanted to be like part of the herd you know i always yeah. i was always the kid that would like you know, I was going to flea markets at like 13 to like specifically buy the things that like nobody would be wearing from Abercrombie and Fitch or whatever, You're you hula- know?
1: That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs>
3: And, and I carried that with me and I, and it got validated over the years, right? Like I got told that like, yeah, you are, yeah, that's that. And even when I was on Degrassi, it was like, I, I was the first cast member to ever win a Gemini award, which is like the Canadian, whatever it is, you know, I don't know what you can even compare it to, um, American wise, but, but that happened. And then, and then I booked, you know, Nina went on to book the Vampire Diaries, um, Aubrey went on to be like Drake, this like super freaking mega star, and, and all this stuff, but nobody had really broken out from that show. And I was the first person to like book a big American series, which is yeah. like what every Canadian actor dreamt of. And, and so all of this stuff just fed that ego. It fed that ego in me that just was like, okay, this, this is where I get my confidence from, yeah. from, you know, being validated externally. Well, and, and do you think
1: that that had something to do with like your need and your want for that with tr- kind of like being like a fuck you to dad, like, look, I am totally, the special one.
3: Totally. Yeah. Totally. I think it all stemmed back to that. And, and that stuff, you know, uh, <laughs> Everybody in your life, whether they acknowledge it or not, I didn't have stage parents who like took me to the, you know, the auditions and pushed me into it or anything like that. I was definitely on my own, but like, I knew that my parents talk to to their friends about the things that I did. It's an exciting thing. Like the yeah. entertainment industry is exciting. Yeah, Universal of thing. Yeah. Everybody's interested in it and so you do. You you find that and it starts to like feed again this ego, right? It all comes back to the ego and and then when the show ended, I uh, really didn't realize cuz I spent so many of my years on 90210 like internally wishing that i was off of it like i wasn't happy i was so unhappy when i oh, was on really that series. So why yeah just personally I you know the fame thing happened like on the scale that I had always dreamt uh, it to and mm. and I immediately realized that like I was not made out for that like <laughs> you're like shit just yeah. battle, never mind battle. never mind yeah um I really was not equipped for that I was 18 I left home to go and do this series I'd never lived on my own um you know so I was really battling a lot of the trials and tribulations as, as stupid and privileges that sound that do come with like that insta fame that I was sure. experiencing. Um, and uh, I, I, I was like, I, I couldn't, men- like, mental health-wise, like, it, the anxiety that it was giving me, it was awful. The behind-the-scenes was very tumultuous. We were all, you know, it was, it was super catty environment. Um, there was no no family-like quality that was going oh, that's on. that's such a
1: bummer because, yeah. you, you know, like, you go through, like, in, in the industry and there's some sets where you're just like, oh, my God, I could be here forever because mm-hmm. everybody's so loving and you're just like, you yes. can't wait to get to work. And that sucks when you get, on a project, especially that's so long running that you're like, God, I should be so grateful for this to have a steady paycheck. And I'm like living my dream, but also like, I hate being here. (laughs) Yes. And like gratitude, like
3: that, that to me was like the key of why I needed to just kind of stop and reposition everything after that show ended, because I realized like ego was a big player in my mind yeah. that needed to be put in check and gratitude had all of a sudden flown out the window um, because all of my dreams came true really quite easily. Like it w- it all happened too fast. Yeah. I never had to work hard and hustle and deal with the rejection that like mm. are good characteristics <laughs> for you yeah. to, you know, kind of grow and, and learn from. Um, and then Yeah, I I ended that show realizing like, wow, I've lost all sense of gratitude for this beautiful, unique, incredibly wild experience that I've gotten to have in my life because of all of the ways that it had chipped away at my soul for the five Mm. years that I was on that show. and. And so I needed to really just kind of like step back and rebalance myself. So I was like, okay, I'm done now. Like I'm not – I didn't I, – I fired like my acting agents. So I was like, this is it, guys. I'm not doing this anymore. I didn't want to jump onto the next project. Right. Um, and, and I'm sure you know as an actor, it's like when you – don't roll with the momentum oh, <laughs> that yeah. you have. And then later you're like, okay, oh, yeah, I need a paycheck. Like, right. <laughs> you know, just kidding. Can I come just, back? <laughs> yeah. Hey, remember when, you know, you're hot when you're hot and you're not, when you're not, um, and I did get to a place two years later where I was like, I don't know who I am if I'm not an actor. Right like, what what do I have? What makes me special now? And mm. and I'm getting older. The rest of the world is catching up. It what made me special then was that I was so young and doing all of these crazy right. wild things, that I was so young and making all of this money, that I was so young and being recognized, you know, by people and and now All of my friends were graduating university. Everybody was getting really awesome jobs. Like, you know, and it was like, oh, God, oh, God, wait, hold on. Everybody's catching up. And here I am going, what the hell am I doing I'm in my early 20s. I'm a full-blown adult now. Don't know where that time went from the age of 13 when I started Degrassi to where I am now. And, like, I feel like I'm starting at scratch. And I'm actually behind instead of being 10 steps ahead. And that was so unsettling. So... It was a lot of like identity crisis stuff because I was like, shit, man, like I spent five years, you know, in a lot of ways, resenting being a part of this show and having this experience in my life. And and I don't know who the hell I am without it because it's all I've ever known. I I was on Degrassi for five years, went straight into 90210 for five years. That in my adult life is who I was, you know,
1: that's like and those are pivotal years of your your life. To, yeah. be, to be a part of something that was so I mean, I watched the, the new 90210. That was a massive mm-hmm. show. I can't yeah. even imagine, you know, and then to really feel like I don't want to do this anymore, but then what the fuck do I do? <laughs> uh-huh. So where did just, you go after that?
3: So many moments in my life, you know, because I did have great grades in, in high school and stuff. I always was interested in, and I was going to go to business school. That was what I had, you know, initially planned for prior to booking 90210 while mm-hmm. I was taking my SATs um, or studying for my SATs. And, and part of me was always like, do I go back to school? But it's hard to go back to school when you're now an adult with bills and responsibilities and you need your life moving forward to commit to like a four year education, even if you fast tracked it, you know, it was like, it's still going to be a lot of heavy lifting. Um, and I wouldn't be able to really work or like make money, you know, while I'm doing that, because when we work, you know, and acting jobs still were keeping me afloat two years later, I decided to get back into it. I started doing like the lifetime hallmark stuff right, right, and indie films and, you know, whatever, what have you, um, it, that requires a hundred percent of your attention. Oh, like yeah. you have to be on set for, you know, 15 hours a day, if not longer. Like yeah. you can't be doing a no. <laughs> full-time <laughs> education at the same time. It's just impossible, you know? Yeah. So I was like, how the hell do I do this? What do I do? Um and I I just Got back into the acting thing, doing the Hallmark and Lifetimes and the Indies and whatever, as I kind of tried to figure it out, you know, and I was like, maybe this is what I want. Maybe I do want to book that next hit show, like, just give me an easy meal ticket again, God, like, just, you know, like, come on, like, give me that next hit series where I don't need to think about the next few years of my life. I don't need to decide yet, you know, and I was just trying to, I think, really catch a break that would not make me have to address <laughs> all of these things that i needed to be addressed and yeah. then i booked a series um out of canada I'd never made it into the states It was a one season, but it was, like, a really fun role. Like, it was an alcoholic homicide detective and, like, so different from anything that I'd done and really showcased me as an adult. That was another Mm -hmm. thing. I'd played basically a teenager forever, you know. Yeah. So, it was really fun, and I loved it loved that crew and the producers and everybody on that show so much. It filmed in my hometown. So I got to be around my family for the first time in 10 years. It was like a beautiful, beautiful thing. I was like, okay, cool. Like I can roll with this. This is great. Like, let's do this for the next few years. And then I got pregnant during hiatus. Oh my God. And I was like, Okay, cool. That's fine. You know, if we get picked up, like I'm just going to have a full-time nanny. I've never been like the super mommy kind of person anyway. Like, great. That that's the plan and I'll just jump right back on set and figure it out and whatever. And my poor husband who when we met, I was like, I don't want to act anymore. Like, this is my, you know. Now all of a sudden I'm like acting full-time and like, oh, hey, by the way, you're also going to basically be a single dad cuz right, like when I'm right. on set for, you know, 4 or 5 months of the year, I'm completely MIA Monday to Friday. Oh, my God. Um and, you know, I was just trying to not really think about it. The show ended up getting canceled and not going for a second season. And that was like the biggest blessing ever, Um, you know, and it was the first time in my life where I'd gotten bad news in my career that I was so happy about, right, <laughs> like, right. really, like not an ounce of me had wished it had gone any other way. Um being pregnant, I remember going. I went on one audition when I was pregnant and. I remember walking in, I did like a fucking killer read, like killer, like it was so good. I had the casting people like in tears welling up, like it was really, really powerful. And I walked out and I didn't give a fuck. Like I did not care at all. I had so much fun doing it. I was like, yes, I am good. And like, I don't, it was just this really feel good, fun, playful, moment doing what I do and have always done but I didn't have those butterflies in that waiting room I didn't have that anxiety attack when I walked in and they told me to start I didn't have like all of the things that I hated about what I did for so long because it yeah. stressed me out so bad like none of it was there I had the best time I didn't book the part I didn't care at all but it like that to me was like it set something off in my brain where it was like girl you just found Purpose. That's what happened just now. You just found purpose that is outside of career yep. successes, validating why you deserve to exist in this world, why mm. you deserve to take up space. You do not need to be impressive or rich or any of these wonderful things that are associated with what I had spent my whole life doing to. Be worthy of existing and being loved and taking up space. Like your purpose is so much bigger now than any of this shit because you are growing a little human being who will rely on you and not give a flying fuck if you are a a famous actor or whatever the hell, (laughs) you know, like she is not going to care one bit. You're her mom. That's it. I love that. And that was like a really game changing moment for me.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. That's so beautiful. That's like totally full circle from yeah. the the little girl who was abandoned and felt not chosen to you standing as a soon to be mom and being like, oh, I'm going to choose this kid. And like, she's my new reason. Mm-hmm. Frickin beautiful. <laughs> um, so you had a pretty traumatic first birthing experience. I know you're pregnant with your, your second child right now. Yeah. Um, so tell me about how the first pregnancy and, uh, delivery went so, so very wrong.
3: Yeah, so I, I had, like, the smoothest pregnancy ever the first time, literally zero complications. Like, I, it was just easy breezy, and I was like, well, look at my body go, man. You know, like, it's incredible to me, like, what our bodies can just do yeah. um, if you're so fortunate to have that be the case. I was like, this is, I'm so lucky. And then when it came time for my due date to roll around, um, I was recommended by my doctor to get induced after one week if she still hadn't been born. And my mom and dad had planned trips out to come and see us for the birth. And so that date was rolling in and I had a really bad feeling about being induced. Like I just, it was, I put it off twice. So I was like, okay, like, no, 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 I'm not going to go in today. Like, I don't know. She'll come when she's ready. She'll come when she's ready, you know, whatever and and then i felt pressure that like again my dad was coming into town and you know he expected to be in town for just a couple days for like the birth of his first grandchild and you know whatever and and i kind of let the the circumstances around me like pressure me into mm. just pulling the trigger on this induction that right. i really wasn't feeling right about so i went in i got induced Supposed to be pretty standard practice. I had never really looked into it because, again, my pregnancy was so smooth. So I was just like, okay, like you know, it's all gonna run, no, no issues. Um, so I didn't really know like all the different ways that a birth could go, you mm-hmm. know, right and. They induced me, they, they broke my water, they gave me the Pitocin, and Pitocin is basically like a chemical that, that brings on contractions, and my contractions, because they're chemically brought on, there was no like gradual, okay, they're 10 minutes apart, they're five minutes apart, you know, and your body's getting kind of used to what contractions feel like. It was like boom, 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 like just back-to-back contractions. For a few hours, I ended up getting an epidural, thank fucking god <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then 18 hours later my Ugh. doctor came and checked me and you're supposed to be dilating which basically means like your cervix is opening up to 10 centimeters we all know this and and mine had gotten to six and then was back down to five and then was getting towards four and it was like oh shit i'm swelling like this kid's Ugh. not gonna come out you know like and her, her gateway is getting smaller and smaller by the minute out of an already s- very very small very gateway small. to begin yes, with <laughs> very small and um you know they they basically were like okay you're gonna have to have a c-section i hadn't even thought about mm. a c-section um at any point all i you know they said c-section all i thought awake on an operating table with my insides outside of myself like right. no thank you i don't think so and uh, and they were like, you know, your water's been broken for so long now, that's when risk of infection gets bad, right? Like mm. the longer because water's protecting baby, blah, blah, blah. They're like, it the time is now. And my doctor just had like a hard-hitting, you know, two-second combo, kicked everyone out of the room and was like, This is not an emergency right now, but it will become one very soon. So do you mm. want to wait for that point or do you just want to do this? <laughs> and I was like, Okay, let's yeah. <laughs> let's go then. <laughs> um So we went into the operating room, and to ease my anxiety, I was like narrating the C section. Oh my God. (laughs) So he's like beside my head, and there's the curtain up, and I'm just looking at him, and I was like, you know, it's weird because I can like, I can feel that they're cutting me because I know that. But, you know, it's like when you get stitches, like where you feel the tugging, but it doesn't hurt. <laughs> there I am narrating the C-section to my husband and he's going, okay, yeah, uh-huh, you know, whatever. I was like, I just need to talk you through it. And then they, it's supposed to be a 20-minute surgery. They cut everything. They take whatever they need to, you know, and then they're like, okay, we're going to pull the baby out. And I had been warned that like the moment that that happens, you feel like a, a quite a deep pressure like not pain it shouldn't hurt but it, it'll be pressure so they're like okay Ugh. you ready and I was like yeah I think so and then I was like wait I feel that and she was like what I was like something sharp and she was like this and like I don't know what she did and I was like yes yes that I feel that and the anesthesiologist is like everybody stop what you're doing don't pull that baby out Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. calls a dude like gets more drugs sent in I'm like oh my god what the god. fuck is going on so I start to panic, obviously. And while you're and like I, laying butt ass naked on a table, like freaking out ass the naked. First yes. Place. Oh, my God. Yes. And they bring in more drugs. And I'm like, OK, I think I'm good now. You know, I can't feel it, whatever. And she's like, OK, it's time. And that is when I started to, like, really lose it. And she took the baby out. I remember that because I remember looking at my husband and I heard her cry, And that was like the most beautiful moment ever. And then I was like, can you see her? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, is she hairy? Because I was like (laughs) covered in hair as a baby. And he was like, no. I was like, oh, my God. Okay. Is she like, she's good. And he was like, yeah. I was like, okay, I love you guys. And he was like, okay. And like eyes roll back in head. I lost consciousness. (laughs) fuck, dude. And that was it. And then for the next, you know, however long, all I remember is, like, I remember shaking. I remember I couldn't feel my arms. I remember passing in and out. I remember feeling the need to throw up and then throw – like, it was just – so crazy, and the whole time I'm like talking again, narrating, and I'm like, I was like, I can't feel my arms anymore. Like, you need to tell them that I can't feel my arms. Why aren't you telling them that I can't feel my oh arms? My you know, I'm like, what's wrong with you? And he's just looking at me, going like, Okay, babe, she's saying she can't feel her arms. Meanwhile, he's aware, right, that he is watching a shit show unfold in front of him because. An hour later, I finally come to roll over, there's blood all over the ceiling, like something Wait, on the, what had do you gone mean on bad. The ceiling. Yes, literally on the ceiling, on the overhead hanging light. I just remember like, it was like life washed back into my face. I, all of a sudden, you know, like after you have like a really good puke when you're drunk or whatever yeah. and you're like, okay, like let's go time, you know, like you're like, I'm good again. <laughs> like it was like that. And I just rolled over. I was like, wow, that was weird. And then I looked up and I see the blood everywhere. I was like, oh shit. Like this went like way further south than I
1: had oh, even. my
3: God. It's been like a aware fucking of.
1: horror movie when it there's just like you so wake up and there's blood dripping over you and all the doctors so bad. are standing there.
3: Yes, and I saw my husband outside in the hallway with the new baby with my doctor and she's having like an aside with him outside. And my head went like you're never going to walk again. And that's okay. Because, you know, I was like something, cause I hadn't felt oh my legs God. in like 24 hours, you know, cause of the epidural and whatever. So I'm like some permanent damage has just gone down. Oh and like, I just need to be okay. The baby's fine we'll be okay and then he comes back in and I remember my doctor walk up and I was like just tell me what is it and she was like what do you mean <laughs> I, was like, I was like what is like the permit like there's some bad news and she was like no 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 no. you just you had like a tear and you know things but you're fine It's just gonna make the recovery a little bit harder but like you're good I was like oh <laughs> okay you're like you could lead with that instead me just like
1: wondering <laughs> yeah. what the dripping blood on the fucking ceiling is guys
3: yes! it was- So, so crazy. And honestly, like I, you know, I, because I lost consciousness so much, it was definitely traumatic, but I think like it actually like my body now that i'm pregnant and about to ha- give birth again it's almost like my body remembers the trauma more than i do mentally oh, sure. because now it's like oh girl like we're getting close to that time where like we almost lost ourselves yeah, for a moment and it's like
1: bracing for that it's probably yes. like holding on to it you mm-hmm. know cellularly oh god crazy 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 so and men- my poor husband who's <laughs> just I like,
3: like- actually aware of everything that was going on like honestly probably more traumatic for him
1: than it even was for oh me oh my but. god so are you this next birth are you going to do a <sighs> c-section or what what did they I, recommend that you do
3: yeah i mean doctors recommend that i do um and uh, you know part of me blindly trust doctors because they're doctors and right. then part of me after the experience that i had where i really think it probably was down to them that things went so you know mm-hmm. um, awry doesn't really trust them but you know I like I said to you on unzip like we just moved here from a California eight months ago or something like that. So I like, I don't know this doctor at all. Like I hadn't even had time to get a doctor and I was pregnant. And so I just found the first lady that I could. And then she seems great. She seems nice, whatever, but I have no relationship with her. I had a doula at my first birth who was like my like surrogate mom, you know, advocate person. And I don't have that net here. So, While I would love to go for a virginal birth after C-section, I know that there are risks involved with that. And I feel like I've had, like, one risky enough experience. I'm like, whatever I can do to minimize the risk. And I've heard Mm. from people that, like, elective C-sections typically go smoother than when it is, like, a more of an An emergency emergency, situation. Yeah, so... Fingers crossed. I'm just like I, I'm bummed that I won't have gotten to have that that movie like push like moment that we all you know watch uh, growing up. But I'm I'm hoping that things you know run smoothly and it's a little bit more of a controlled environment because last time yeah. there was just it felt like a shit show.
1: Well, I mean the way that you just you know told the story, we were cackle laughing the whole time. But that's really fucking scary <laughs> and really traumatic and not funny. In the slightest. In <laughs> no, the, it's not.
0: In your first birth
1: situation that's like already so scary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when my mom, a little bit of backstory, my mom tried for six years to get pregnant with me. She had one of the biggest um, thyroid tumors on record. Wow. Um, and all the doctors were like, you're never going to get pregnant. It's never going to happen. She did uh, like a mix of her healing work with a lot of acupuncture and six years later got pregnant. She was mm. 40. All the doctors were like, look, even if you carried a term, she's going to come out not okay not healthy something will be wrong um i'm like resisting making a joke right now (laughs) Um, and she you know because this was in the 80s and it was weird to be 40 and totally give give birth at 40 so she ended up you know carrying to term obviously and her and my dad were in the hospital they had this like whole plan of like we're just going to do it natural and it's going to be fine and like I don't need an epidural and then she was in labor for over 24 hours and I was not coming out and wow. she eventually was like okay I need the epidural and they were yeah. like no you're too dilated we can't give <gasps> it to you now and this is the only time my <sighs> mother is like the sweetest she's from Kansas like the sweetest woman you've ever met and this was the only time she's pulled the, do you know who I am card? <laughs> and it was in the hospital. And my dad looked over at the nurse <laughs> and was like, get her the fucking epidural. You <laughs> like, we don't want to see what happens after this. And they ended up giving it to her and I came out and everything was fine. Oh, thank I was the God. healthiest baby born that year. Like what are beautiful, they? <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> um, so I want to, before we wrap up, I want to take it back real quick to your dad at what, point did you kind of rectify that relationship and how were you able to, you know, where are you guys now? Obviously he came into town for the birth of your kid. Like yeah. what? How did you repair and mend that at all? I I think
3: again, it, you know, I and I it it's funny because I, I do consider myself to be a very independent woman and um very self-sufficient and all of that. And I feel like there's such a stigma attached to like being dependent on a partner for any part of you, because you should feel whole all on your own and whatever what have you, but yeah, I really you know while so much of that is valid and true, I also want to destigmatize like the fact that you can find like the the term better half exists for a reason, and it 's not because my husband is half of me or because he 's better than me it 's because he was that missing piece that started to ignite this best version of me and continues Mm, to ignite this best version of me every day, you know? Um, And it was in meeting him that allowed me to finally feel safe, finally feel like I didn't have to burden the weight of the world on my own anymore. And that I could just take a break from all of that pressure that I put myself under and, and feel that love, like true unconditional love, and not just unconditional love, but the f- I feel like I was easy mm. to be unconditionally loved yeah and and that made a world of difference for me and then as you get older you start to realize that your parents are just like other fucked up people who have kids right. you know what right. I mean like <laughs> that's you know just like we are you know I always joke but like it's also like a half truth like I know my kids are gonna end up in therapy one day because of me you know what I mean <laughs> like we all do like right. that's the reality and, and not because I'm gonna do anything horrible to them or anything like that but just because I'm human and they're human and they're different from me and you know all of this stuff it's like it is inevitable so I think I just got to a place of acceptance with him where it was just like, you know, and we talked about this on unzipped, right? Like compassion for people. And just knowing that like, you know, my dad was going through some shit. It wasn't that he was, you know, it, yes, his actions were maybe not like the best, of course, as a dad or whatever, what have you, but it wasn't because he didn't love me. It wasn't because he didn't choose me. It wasn't because of any of those things. It was because he was going through some shit. Right. and, And now, you know, I just, I've learned so many incredibly valuable lessons from my dad um, in parenting, you know, they may not have been like the most positive lessons that are things I want to pass on, but I think you can be super grateful for the negative experiences too, because they teach you just as much, you know, and, and that's, that's kind of what I've carried with me with both of my parents. And then when you have kids, it's like, takes it to the next level, right? Because you go, wow, okay, like now I'm mom. Like now I'm no longer child and this is how my mom and dad have affected me. Like that is not my kind of sole focus. Now I am mom and my partner is dad and this is our child and it's our responsibility. So what can I learn? What are the good and the bads and all the rest of the in between and how can I carry that on with how I'm gonna parent my own daughter because she needs me now. And and that's it, you know? So it's it's definitely eased my Relationships with them because I just don't I don't rely on that for validation the same way I've gotten a lot of confidence in who I am as a person by how I am as a mom mm-hmm. and so I don't need that um, external validation
1: in the same way I guess totally I love that it's a beautiful way to take the the shitty things that happened to us when we were little and learn the blessings and how we can really become better people because of them yeah definitely. Um, My love, tell everybody where they can find you on social media and the podcast and all the things. Yes. Um, So on social, it's at Sinead Grimes
3: Beach. That's like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. I do a YouTube weekly vlog with my husband. um, That's really fun. And um, that's the same thing, youtube.com slash Sinead Grimes Beach. And then I also have a blog called The Damn Thing, which is just like the written word is actually my... (laughs) Happy place. I have uh, not I written that. a best-selling book like some of <laughs> us who are involved in this conversation, but I definitely dream to one day. So in the meantime, I just get to write little blog posts on there. Um, but it's just a really fun space for me. So yeah, you can check I it love out. Love that. Yeah, the unzip podcast. The unzip podcast. If you like podcasts, come and listen to us too. Yeah, rails exactly. over there on
1: ours. It's a super fun one. I had a great time talking with you guys. So thank you so much for coming on FML Talk. This has been wildly fun and informative <laughs> all at the same time. <laughs> thank you so much for having thank me. You're so welcome. Thanks, girl. I want to thank Shanae again so much for coming on. Make sure you go and check out her and Annalyn's podcast, Unzipped, and go party over there with them as well. It's a really fun girl talk vibe of a, of a show. We are going to take a turn now and go into some of your FML stories. Here we go.
0: Hey, Gabrielle. My name is Sarah, and this is my FML story. So I was with my ex for seven years. Last year, right before COVID hit, we got a new place together, and everything was great, or so I thought. After a couple months of fighting, he told me at the end of May that he just didn't love me anymore and that there was nothing worth fixing in our relationship. That was after I found out that he was on a dating app because my old co-worker sent me a screenshot and basically said, you need to run. And then to make it better, I found out that he was cheating on me with someone else while very much still in a relationship with me. So obviously I confront him with all of this and about the dating app, his reaction was to brag about how many messages he had received. And I'm thinking, are you fucking kidding me right now? You're really going to brag to me about this? So obviously we break up. We live together for two weeks after the breakup because I have to pack up and leave. So I'm gone about a month, and I get an email from the leasing agent with some documents. I come to find out that he has moved this person into our old apartment two days after I moved out. And what makes it even better is that a few years ago, I found out that his dad had a 20-year-long affair on and off while with his mom that produced two children between... When my ex was born and his younger sister was born. So I guess you can say that the Apple does not fall far from the fucking tree.
1: Damn, girl. I feel like when we date people, I was going to say men, but women, you know. I've heard horror stories on that side, too. So I feel like when we date people, if we could just get a family history of all the bullshit that their parents um, did, experienced, are are like, it would be a really great way to pick out some potential red flags or at least get some fucking warning signs, um, because I feel that way about my ex-in-laws as well. Um, Apple tree. Let's, Let's just leave it at that. Um, I'm so glad that you got out of that toxic fucking situation when you did before there were kids involved, like count your lucky stars on that girl. Um, and don't brag about how many fucking messages you get on dating apps. Like that's not ugh, why do men Let's just leave it at that. Why do men? Okay. Here's number
2: two. Hey, Gabrielle. It's Jasmine. And I wanted to share my FML story. I started to date my first real boyfriend when I was a junior in high school. I was definitely young and naive. He told me that he loved me very early on in the relationship and I was new to that as well as being a virgin. He partied all the time and I was constantly told that he was cheating on me with so many different girls, but I believed him when he said he didn't. He even went as far as to give me a ring and asked me to marry him to prove that he wasn't cheating on me. Major red flags, I know. I kept getting messages on MySpace about people he was sleeping with and I finally had had enough. I left work early one evening and showed up at the place that he was staying at and blew off all of our friends and told him that I was done and wanted to move on with my life. By this time, I was a sophomore in college and I wanted to enjoy myself without being timed down to someone who made me miserable all the time. I found out shortly after I broke up with him that he got a girl pregnant that he was accused of cheating on me with and he still denied the cheating. Years after I was married with a daughter of my own, I found out that pest control had come to my grandma's house after I was there visiting for a long weekend and found out that he was the one who showed up at the door to spray the house. He walked around the house looking at all of the pictures of my family and asked her as he was getting ready to leave. You don't remember me, do you? And she said, no. He said, I'm so-and-so, Jasmine's ex-boyfriend. He proceeded to tell her how badly he had messed up and how he lost the best thing that he ever had. He's right. And I'm much happier now knowing that I was able to enjoy myself in college and find an amazing husband who treats me and my family so well. That's my FML story.
1: Why do I love this so much? Um, Because of course the job that he was there doing was pest control. (laughs) Oh my God. It's just, it's too good. First of all, hi, Jasmine. Uh, Jazz is one of our hardcore, like, FMLers from the beginning. Um so it was so good to hear your voice come through on this story. And I just I love it. It's full circle moment when you finally take your your stand and stand up for yourself. Um and they're they're always regretting it in the fucking long run, girl. Cheers to you. So normally this is the part of the show where I tell you what the episode is for next week, what's coming up, what to be excited about, I'm going to do this a little differently, because next week's episode is a surprise, and if you have been watching my social media, waiting for some hints about a certain something, this is your hint, I will see you guys next week.
2: Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman.
1: This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.